From Ticker Tape, this is Where's My Money. The news and media often call fintech players disruptors, which they certainly are. Companies such as Paytm, PhonePay, and Policy Bazaar have absolutely changed the game. But amongst the headlines of funding rounds, IPOs, and more, it's easy to get lost in the hype. It's easy to forget that the major banks in India, such as HDFC, SBI, and more, aren't just going to roll over and let the disruptors win. And it is becoming quite the battle. But who will win this battle? The old guard or the new disruptors? All of that and more to come in today's episode. To learn more about this, we spoke to Vikas Gupta and Ashwini Shami of OmniScience Capital. And we started the conversation by asking Vikas to give us some context about what's happening in the fintech world today. Let's say around five years back, the view was that fintechs are entering the financial services ecosystem and riding on the back of pure technology platforms and having a completely different mindset. Thinking from scratch, they're going to completely disrupt the traditional banking and financial services. Now, we are five years later. And a lot of things have happened. There are a number of big fintech companies in India, right? In terms of size, in terms of number of customers, uh, there is a lot of heft. But what we see now is it's not so simple. The banks, which were supposed to be, you know, getting disrupted, they probably got disrupted in the initial phases in certain parts of their business. Let's say payments, etc. And they quickly learned. And they also adopted technology. They are now fighting back. So now there is kind of, you could say, a war going on between the traditional financial companies and the new fintechs. You know, this battlefield is quite amazing. You spoke about payments being an area that is being disrupted. Could you just speak about maybe provide a few examples of the disruptors that have come in and a few of the areas where they are disrupting? Yeah, so payments specifically having the UPI system in place, that is what has helped the fintechs enter. So earlier it would be all bank-to-bank transactions using the NEFT or RTGS and things like that through banking channels. And with UPI, the fintechs were able to enter that space. For example, I mean, PhonePay, BharatPay, GPay, these are some of the guys who entered the space and they captured a huge market share of the transactions. Of course, in UPI, remember that still the remittance and the beneficiary both have to have a bank account. So the banks still get to see the transactions. Ashwini, I want to come to you. If you could just expand on this idea of what has been happening over the last few years and what's been happening now, and also just speak about how these fintech players got their start here and some of the ways where this tide is starting to change. If you look at the UPI data, the monthly data, SBI still leads the largest volume of transactions from the remitter side because they still have the largest reach, nearly 1.5 billion transactions that are happening on a monthly level. As a disruptor, there is a clear evidence coming from ATM payments bank side, which has gone ahead of uh, the old guard and is the largest bank, which is a beneficiary bank. It's nearly, you know, what, 1.2, 1.3 billion transactions happening on a month. And uh, if you look at the comparison, obviously, Paytm Payments Bank is almost 70% more than, you know, what SBI is doing, or maybe it is more than 
you know, what you add up across three large private banks like SDFC, ICICI, Access, it is doing still more than that when we look at the beneficiary bank side. So clearly there is a disruption, but the old school is fighting back. And the recent data that has come from, you know, some of the private banks. And if you look at their personal transactions that are happening by individual accounts, 90% of that transaction volume is happening digitally. So for Axis, it is true. For ICICI Bank, it is true. SBI, again, it's a large organization, but they have done exceptionally well when it comes to digital banking. They have been opening digital savings account at a staggering rate of around 26,000 accounts per day. Even on the lending side, they have done exceptionally well, like nearly one third of retail lending is happening through digital platform, which is YOLO for that. And if we look at the numbers, like when we are talking about, you know, the amount of retail loans that have gone out, let's say in a month, we are looking at something like 10,000 crores of loans extended by SBI. Now, compared to something like Paytm, which is also growing at a very, very fast rate when it comes to lending, but the comparative number is, let's say, just about 1,400, 1,500 crores. So there is a huge difference in terms of sizes. The size or as a percentage of digital operations or digital banking transactions that is going on, even with the old school, the traditional banks, is they have kind of completely transformed themselves into digital banks by sheer amount of the percentage of digital transactions that is happening right now. I think you've given great context and data behind why both scenarios can happen. I just want to dive deep into two simple sides of the argument. Ashwini, again, just to come back to you, if you could start with a possible argument for why the new fintech players have a shot at actually being the disruptors and the major players in the space, that would be great. So when we talk about the new age fintech companies. Specifically, we would want to focus on the fintech conglomerates, whichever origin they might have. Some might have come from broking side or distribution side or payment sites. But all of them, what we have seen clearly are getting into other spaces, like they want to get into a mutual fund management. They want to get into traditional banking through getting license or acquisitions and so on and so forth. So let's say it's talking about the advantages of uh, the fintech conglomerates. Definitely the most important thing is their DNA. Okay, so their DNA is completely grounded in tech-driven businesses, which gives them, you know, set of uh, advantages. One is definitely on the client acquisition side. So they being able to show that if they make client onboarding, you know, completely digital, they make the user interfaces intuitive and easy to understand for clients and make the whole onboarding process extremely smooth, then definitely they have an edge. And uh, that is where they have in the last few years, you know, whether it is banking relationship or a broking relationship or a you know, a wealth management relationship, pure digital platforms have done exceptionally well compared to the old school. They also seemingly have an edge in terms of using data mining techniques, using data analytics in terms of doing cross-selling or expanding their existing businesses. So that is something that they have clear advantage, but we have seen the old school is coming back because they have resources. Uh, they have, again, vast 
amount of data because uh, the large customer base still sits with the old school. So they have data. It's just about getting your head around, you know, how to go about using, start using that data. Vikas, could you expand on the argument for the old guard and the traditional players in the space? What is the argument for why they will end up being the, or continue being the dominant players in this space? Keep the difference in mind. The biggest difference is the fintech guy is tech-oriented and customer-oriented, right? So very, very strong customer centricity and understanding of customers, and that's the focus of the fintech guys. The traditional banks or financial services companies, the focus is capital centricity, right? They have the capital, they have the license, and everything is driven from that I have the capital. So it's a capital-linked relationship with the customers, and it's over decades, right? So it's a very, very strong linkage with the customer. Secondly, that is reinforced by a very, very difficult process of getting the license, right? Getting a banking license from RBI, there is huge entry barriers. Full-fledged banking license is practically impossible for most new players to get in. So it's a kind of oligopoly. So whoever is already entrenched, they have the license. And out of all financial services, banking is the largest relationship for any customer. So that's the advantage of the traditional guys. They have millions and millions of customers already. Those people are already borrowing. Those people are already depositing. Those people are already investing through them. Those people are buying insurance through them. Now, the only thing left for them to do was to understand digital technology, to understand how to use this. And they have already done that. So it's no longer a question of how they will do. It's a very interesting war that is going on per se. And I just want to ask both of you very quickly in who do you think is going to win the fintech wars, the new fintech players or the old guard? So Vikas, let's start with you. Who do you think is going to come through as the dominant player? After seeing all the data and thinking about it, the traditional guys have an advantage. So their disadvantage was not having the technology, which they have now. And it seems that you could just outsource it or you could hire it in. So they have probably partnered with the appropriate uh, tech players and they have the full digital offerings. So, so the advantage lies with them. Ashwini, what do you think? Today, my inclination is tilting towards the traditional pool. I want to touch upon on a couple of other reasons here. Uh, one is that finance and banking and you know related areas is a very heavily regulated industry. And uh, compliance and having the you know right kind of policies and systems in place is extremely important. And that is where traditional banks have a very clear edge. The second bit is there is a large trust factor that goes in favor of traditional banks, especially when, you know, you are talking about big money, large allocations, you know, something, your investments or something to do with your savings account and all that. So, which is where obviously fintechs have done a super job, but so far they have been able to convince people to, you know, use their payment wallets or use their services for smaller transactions. So that is a place that they will have to walk very cautiously in terms of continue to build a lot of trust with the clients that is something that again has to be seen you know very closely given the uncertainty of what's going to happen as in we've we've highlighted both the advantages of the old guard and the advantages of the fintech players how do investors navigate through these tricky waters 
So we have been talking more about fintech and traditional banking and all of that. And what we should keep in mind is things like, you know, the whole technology, financial technology infrastructure. What does that mean? That includes things like stock exchanges. That includes things like commodity exchanges. That includes things like energy exchanges. That includes things like DMAT accounts. That includes things like registrars and transfer agents. Right, so all these technologies, technologies where you have authentication, you have EKYC, right, digital lockers, all of this is a enabling technology, right? So when you're trying to play the fintech game, whether via traditional guys or new age guys or whatever, all of this technology platforms are foundational. So you need exposure to them as well. Then there are the credit rating agencies, right? There are civil kind of reporting agencies. So there are all kinds of this information, which is the foundational aspect of fintech. Whether the traditional guys use that fintech or the new age guys use that fintech, that's a way of taking exposure. Have a pool of companies which are exposed to this growth vector and also have a better understanding of what is this growth vector of fintech. So this growth vector of fintech can be through traditional guys, can be through new age guys, and there is a very rich foundational platform of ecosystem, right? So there are so many companies creating this fintech, okay? They are not branded as fintech. You don't think of them as fintech, but they enable the technology platform. And when you say, I want to take exposure, I want to benefit from this trend, you should be exposing your portfolio to a lot of these companies. And we have designed, for example, the capital enablers around this. We might launch one more small case, which is slightly even more focused on this, maybe in the near future, we'll keep your eyes open. I think that is a fantastic place for us to wrap up. Vikas and Ashwini, thank you so much for the time to, to come on this podcast. Pleasure to be here. Great, thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Where's My Money by Ticker Tape. On this show, we simplify the finance landscape in India for you. So if you're looking to venture into stock investing, sort out your personal finance or make sense of how economic developments can impact your money, this podcast will be a perfect addition to your morning commute or household chores. Also, if you enjoyed the episode and want more of this, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform to never miss an episode. And last but not least, consider downloading the Ticker Tape app. It is an investment analysis platform for stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, and much more. The link and further description will be in the show notes below. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we will see you in the next one.